Come on, anybody happy to be at church this morning? Let's try that again. Nine o'clock's gaining on you a little bit. Is anybody happy to be at church this morning? There we go. There we go. I love it. I love it. Come on, can we give it up for this worship team this morning? Man, I don't know if you realize this, but you are blessed. I'm going to say it again. You are blessed with the teams, with the leadership that you have at this church. Um, you guys are doing an incredible job. And before we, before we get into the Word, before we do anything uh, this morning, a couple people I want to recognize. Uh, one, my wife is here with me. She's on the corner. Can you just raise your hand real quick? Actually raise it up. Maybe. That's, there she is. Okay. Uh, my wife and I have been married for 12 years. We have three beautiful children. They are all in your kids' ministry right now, which I don't know if you realize is packed with kids this morning, which is awesome. So can we just take a minute and pray for all the kids' workers today? Because they are going to need it, uh, but it's great to be here with you. Um, and also to, to your pastors, and we're going to do something here in just a second. They don't know this is happening. Um, these two, I'm not going to cry. These two right here. This church is here because they were willing to say yes to the call of God. Every person that's in this room, that's under their leadership, that's under the touch of what God is using them to do in this city is here because of two people that trusted God and said, listen, we don't have all the answers. We don't know how this is going to work. We don't know how this is going to happen, but God will give you our yes. And because of that, God's spirit has moved mightily through them and you are sitting in the dream of your pastors right now. Come on, can we just stand to our feet real quick and show some honor to our pastors here? Come on. Oh, you can do better than that. Come on, show them you love them. Show them you appreciate them. Let's go. Awesome, awesome. Thank you, you can be seated. You have two of the best pastors on the planet because they love God and they love you and they believe in the vision that God has given them so that your life can move forward in what God has for you. Do you believe that today? Yeah. Come on, I believe that God wants to do something in this church today like never before. And so we're gonna jump right into the message, Galatians chapter five, Galatians chapter five. And I wanna speak to you a message today entitled, Finally Free. Finally free. And I don't really know if like this weekend is 4th of July weekend or last weekend because 4th of July was on a Tuesday, which is just a really underrated day. Yeah. Nothing, nothing really fun happens on Tuesday. But uh, so whether it was last weekend or this weekend for you, we're going to talk about freedom. Is that okay? Come on. We're going to talk about freedom because as followers of Jesus, you're called to live free. Amen. You're called to live in freedom. You're called to walk in freedom. We're called to think in freedom. We're called to lead our families, lead our businesses, lead our lives from a place of freedom and liberty that comes from the power of Christ within you. And so we're going to look at Galatians chapter 5 today. We're going to jump right in verse 1. It said, it is for freedom. Everybody say freedom. freedom. I'm going to tell you the same thing I told the 9 o'clock. Listen, when Texans say freedom, it just sounds different. <laughs> Like you guys just say it with a little more gusto than we do in Oklahoma. You know, something about the Republic of Texas. Come on, everybody say it again. Freedom. Freedom. See, it's just different, built different down here. Stand firm then and do not let yourselves be burdened again by a yoke of slavery. Mark my words. I, Paul, tell you that if you let yourselves be circumcised, Christ will be of no value to you at all. Again, I declare to every man who lets himself be circumcised that he's obligated 
to obey the entire or the whole law, you who are trying to be justified by the law have been alienated from Christ and you have fallen away from grace. For through the Spirit, we eagerly, eagerly await by faith the righteousness for which we hope. For in Christ Jesus, neither circumcision nor uncircumcision have any value. The only thing that matters is faith expressing itself through love. You were running a good race, but who cut in on you to keep you from obeying the truth? That kind of persuasion does not come from the one who calls you. What is he saying? He's saying, that's not of God. That the way that you're living, apart from his truth, is not what God destined for you. A little yeast works through the whole batch of dough. And I am confident of this, that in the Lord, you will take no other view. Let's pray over the word together. Father, we thank you for your word today. God, we thank you that in your word there is life. In your word there is hope. In your word there is liberty. God, we pray that you would prepare our hearts as you already have as we've worshiped together to be able to receive from your spirit. Lord, that it wouldn't be my words that are being put on display, but God, it would be your heart for us that we receive today. God, I pray you give me clarity of mind, precision of tongue, God, and purity of heart to share your word as you would have it be shared. God, and we thank you for the privilege and the opportunity and the freedom to gather together in a place like this and worship you and praise your name and lift your name because you are worthy of all the glory and all of the honor. God, we thank you today and it's in your name we pray and everybody said, amen. 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 I'm finally free. Look at your neighbor and tell him, I'm finally free. Look at your second choice and tell him, well, maybe there's hope for you. You, you, you picked them second. That, that, that's on you. You know, as a kid, I remember uh, growing up in a small town and in, in our street, we lived on a short street about a quarter of a mile. And at the end, we lived in a cul-de-sac. And about seven or eight, my parents bought me a, a bike, and I used to ride that bike around the circle all the time. But as a kid, you always want to go down the street. Like you want to go to the next house, and then the next house, and then maybe one day they'll let me go to the end of the street. And as a kid, I remember thinking, man, I feel so trapped in this little circle. Maybe one day I'll experience real freedom, right? Like I'll get to go two blocks or two houses down. It's like 40 feet. But I'll get to go two houses down, right, and then just turn around and come right back into the circle. So I remember as a kid, I would always ask my parents, Mom, Dad, can, can, I, go, can I go to the neighbor's house down the street? No, it's not safe. You can't go. you got to stay in the circle. But then when I turned nine, they were like, you know what, son? We're going to let you go two houses down on your bike. And I thought, I'm finally free. This is it. This is what freedom feels like to a nine-year-old. I get to go 40 feet down the street on my bicycle. And then when I was 10, they came to me and said, you know what, your friend that lives, you know, four or five houses down, we're going to let you go all the way to his house. And I thought, thank you, Jesus, where has been deliverance in my house? Look at this. And then when I turned 11, the ultimate level of freedom for a kid, right, I got to go all the way to the end of the street. It's a new world down there at the stop sign. All the way to the end of the street. This is what it must mean to be free. Right, but how many know, like as a kid, like freedom has levels. And the older you get, freedom looks different. What, is it, what does it really mean to be free, right? So as a teenager, freedom looked a little different. As a teenager, freedom felt like having my own MySpace page. Yes. Anybody still have a MySpace page? There's always one. And we had two in the nine. They, 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 they both came to the nine. That's what happens. 
How many of you remember having a MySpace? You know what MySpace is. Okay, we, how many of you have no idea what I'm talking about when I say MySpace? It's okay, everyone under 24, you can raise your hand. So, I, you know, when you would get on MySpace, you had a profile song. And you could learn a lot about somebody from their profile song. Immediately, if I got on your profile and saw your song, I knew one of two things. One, you were my day one. We were about to be best friends. Or two, don't come near me ever. Like, there is no in-between. But that, that was freedom then, like having my own social media at the time in MySpace. Then, then it was phones, right? Like the first, I guess you can call it a mobile phone. We had bag phones. Anybody remember bag phones? Like it could be a briefcase, could be a bomb, could be a phone. Nobody knows. Like there's all these wires running in and out. Nobody knows what this thing is. And then we had cell phones and then text messaging. And I, I know, I remember freedom feeling like the unlimited texting plan. When it first became a thing, some of you were like, what is non-unlimited text? You used to have to pay 10 cents a message which really wasn't a problem because texting back then, if I wanted to send like, hey, to Pastor Trevor, it was like 4433999999 to get to the right. Like it wasn't really texting. It was more like Morse code because you had to hit so many buttons. But it felt like freedom when you had an unlimited texting plan. Then as a kid, when you, when as a teenager, when you get a car, that's freedom. It's a new level of freedom. And then you graduate high school and you think more freedom. Only you find college or a job. And then when you get out of college, you think this is what freedom really must be like. And then you get married and freedom's gone. <laughs> and freedom becomes like an old relic in the backyard that you look of yesteryears of what used to be. No, I'm kidding. Marriage is amazing. It's great. <laughs> what does it really mean to be free? What does it really mean to live in freedom? And I've come to tell you today that freedom is not financial independence. Freedom is not success as the world defines it. Freedom is not just being able to do what you want, when you want, how you want. Freedom is not just living in a country like we have in the United States. We have freedoms but to truly live in the freedom that God has destined for you, we're not talking about a philosophical idea. We're not talking about a religious idea. We're not talking about a cultural idea. We are talking about a kingdom idea. Freedom is a kingdom idea. And if you are a follower of Jesus, guess what? You are kingdom people. That means we live by kingdom principles. We live by kingdom ideals. We think kingdom thoughts and we build our lives upon kingdom truths. And the truth is today that there are real spiritual forces at work that seek to divide and disarm the kingdom of heaven. I know Pastor Trevor talked about it recently that this is both outside and it's inside the church that the enemy works to divide and disarm the people of God and he will use any tactic necessary to disqualify you from your future, to leave you ashamed of who you used to be or leave you in shame of the struggle that you currently face and make you believe that one mistake is all it takes to leave you with a broken identity, a broken version of the person that God has called you to be. So what does it really mean to be free? You know, I, my family and I, we, we like to, uh, I would call it, we like to purge our house quite often. 
We, we, like to, we don't like to accumulate things. We are like the opposite of hoarders. If there's something that can be sold, given away, thrown away, get it out. Get it out of the house. And so uh, with our three kids, both of our parents, the kids' grandparents, they love to buy them things. You know, grandparents, they just love to buy things. And that's great. We love it. They buy them nice things. But then sometimes they take trips to the Dollar Tree. <laughs> or the Dollar and a Quarter Tree now. Thank you, inflation. But... The Dollar Tree, and here's the thing, maybe you're a huge Dollar Tree fan, like you, you love it. It is just part of your makeup. Here's the thing you really need to understand about Dollar Tree. That stuff is trash, and it will break no matter how good it looks. It looks just like the real thing on the shelf. You bring it home, whatever it is, it's going to break after you use it three times. It's going to happen. So we will have bags and bags of stuff that my parents have graciously bestowed upon us from the Dollar Tree. And every now and then, we just, we got to purge. We got to get this stuff out. If we haven't seen it in three months, it's got to go. So we start bagging stuff up. And I find this box of crayons. And these box, they are Dollar Tree crayons. They're not like that Crayola stuff that you can like, you know, jack your car up with and they won't break. Like these are crayons. If you look at them, it'll just, you know, cheap crayons. So we find this box of crayons, and they are just shattered into a million pieces. Little bitty shards everywhere. I mean, these things can't be used. You can't tell which color goes with which. The paper is falling off. And, and so I start to throw them away, and my oldest son goes, Dad, don't throw away the crayons. And I'm like, son, it was a dollar. Like, we can go get a McChicken for that. Like, what are we worried about a dollar for? I will buy you like Crayola, real crayons that are put together that look perfect that you can use. And he goes, no, dad, don't throw them away. I'm like, son, they are broken. They no longer serve their purpose. And my son looks at me with the wisdom of a seven-year-old and goes, but they still color. And there's some people in the room today that you feel broken. You feel like you don't have it together. You feel like you have no purpose and that God can't use you in what you bring to the table. But listen, God's looking at you and saying, look, your life will still color. Your purpose will still color. The calling within you will still color. Even though you feel broken right now, you feel like you are not what you once were or not what God's calling you to be. And you got so much messed up stuff in your life that you can't seem to leave behind. And you compare yourself to all the other crayons in the box. You still color. And God's not, just like my son wasn't done with those crayons, God's not through with you, but he has more for you. But he's calling you to live in the freedom that he has for you. You're finally free. You're finally free, but freedom must be lived in. This is not a cultural or political thing we're talking about. This is the word of God and God's plan for your life. So we're gonna look at three things really quick today. Number one is this plan. Freedom is God's plan for your life. And Pastor Trevor mentioned it a few moments ago that yes, in this life, you will have trouble. You will have hardship. You will have difficulties that you have to face. Yes, that's guaranteed. But through all of it, God's plan for you is that you would not live bound by your circumstance, bound by your past, overcome by the thoughts that plague your mind, but his design and plan and creation for you is that you would live in freedom. Yes. God-given, spiritual freedom. God's design is that you would find your hope, that you would find your identity, that you would find your purpose and your freedom in him. 
How many of you guys, you know what the, uh, you know what the Enneagram is? How many of you have ever taken a personality test before? We'll go with that. Okay, so with our staff, we do, Pastor Trevor mentioned that we do leadership development, leadership training. And part of that, um, obviously, we believe that what God says is the truth about who we are. But to, to look at some of the tendencies in our leadership, we look at Enneagram, personality test. And I always love it because there's one team member in every room that always is just a little meaner than the rest. You know what I'm talking about? You got that friend at work. It's like, yeah, they're nice. They're just kind of a jerk. There's always that one. And when they take the the personality test or the Enneagram, it like gives them license to be a jerk. It's like, oh, well, look at that. I'm an Enneagram eight. I'm a confronter. I'm 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 an aggressive type personality. Why am I always rude? Why am I always pointed in what I say? Well, that's just how I am. It's like, well, maybe you should get some fruit of the spirit. Nah, that's how I am. This is who I am. Listen, God hadn't created you to be a jerk. God created you to have some fruit of the Spirit in your life that would make you kind. Amen? But so many people look at the way they're designed according to psychology or according to their background, and they know maybe there's some things they work on, but they give themselves license to be who they are, saying, this is what our culture does, I was made this way. I was made this way. I was created this way. It's just who I am. I know you think I should change. I know I hear Pastor Trevor preach these messages, and I know there's some things that I need to let God work on, but this is just who I am. Listen, your design is not defined by culture. Your, defi- your, your design is not defined by psychology or your feelings, what others have said about you. Listen, your design is not determined by who your parents were or who they were not. So many people live slave to generational curses and they think that I have to be this way because this is who my family is. This is what we do. This is the battle we fight. No, God says that he has designed you to be his creation, is his image, to be his masterpiece and to live in freedom today. God designed you and planned that you would live in freedom. You were made by him, saved by him. We're a fallen humanity, and yes, we don't measure up to the level of perfection that we think we do, but thank God for his grace, and thank God for his mercy that makes me right in him. God's plan is that I would live in freedom. So you can live oppressed by the idea of who you think you should be. You can live slave to your past. You can live controlled by the thoughts in your mind and the strongholds that you face and you will leave pain, regret, and heartache in your path because you were not designed for this. God designed you for more. God designed you to be his and he designed you to live in his freedom. Freedom is God's plan for you. And I've got even better news that freedom is paid for. How many of you like free stuff? Anybody like some free stuff? You know, all you gotta, if you're new today, all you got to do is fill out that Connect card and guess what you get? Free stuff. Isn't that just fantastic? Shameless plug for the Connect card for anybody who's new today. Come on. And when you said that they could have this shirt, Connect, we actually have that one, like that shirt, the one you're wearing. I'm going to frame it in my room. I'm going to frame that shirt in my room, worn by Pastor Trevor. It's going to be fantastic. Everybody loves free stuff. If you go to like a, a fair or an or a, a sh- a expo or a, a gun show or whatever, and they've got all those booths everywhere, you'll walk out of there with bags of free stuff. You don't even know what's in that bag. Somebody just said, here, it's free. Okay. And you just take it. It's free stuff. You know, you go to Chick-fil-A and you're in the drive-thru line. You can't today because it's God's chicken and he has to rest today. So it's closed. 
but you're in the drive-through line and you get up to the window and the person at the window says, hey, your meal has been paid for, it's free. And you start praising God right there in the drive-through. Somebody done paid for my chicken. Right? Like we love free stuff. Here's the thing about freedom. Because of the work of Christ, it's free for you. You don't have to earn it. You don't have to work for it. You don't have to do anything to get it. He said, in me, there is life and life to the full. There is freedom. And it's been paid for. Galatians chapter 5 in our passage, he says, Mark my words, I, Paul, tell you that if you let yourselves be circumcised, Christ will be of no value to you at all. Be of no value. Verse 6, for in Christ Jesus, neither circumcision nor uncircumcision has any value. The only thing that counts is faith expressing itself through love. Now here's the thing I know about Sunday mornings and about men. Every man in the room, you got up this morning, you made your cup of coffee, you went to your spot in the house, right? Like your, your chair, your recliner, your spot at the table, your spot on the couch. Because every adult man, once you have your own house, your own apartment, you have your chair or your spot. It is your location. Two people can be there, you and Jesus. That's it. Nobody else gets to sit in your spot, right? Like it's your place and you're there. And here's what I know. There's not one man in the room this morning that you got your cup of coffee and you went to your spot and you sat down and you thought, you know what? I wonder if I should get circumcised today. <laughs> it's okay, you can laugh. Not one person, Trevor's like, I can feel it. He's like, oh Jesus, what's he gonna do? Not one person in the room did that this morning. You know, I've really been weighing out the pros and cons. Maybe I should, maybe I should go ask Pastor Trevor what he thinks about it, what the Lord has spoken to him about it. Get some pastoral with, nobody's doing that. But here's the thing. Here's why it's so important, especially if you're new to church, new to faith and new to reading the scripture, which if you're not reading the Bible every day, can I encourage you, start with just a verse a day. Yeah. But get the word of God in you. Because here's the thing. When the pressures of life hit, what is in you will come out. And I sure hope it's the word of God, not the word of Joseph, that comes out. So hide the word of God in your heart. Consume the word of God daily. But here's why it's so important to do what we're talking about. When you're new to the word of God, it is so important that you understand the context and the purpose of what the writer is talking about. Because if you're new and you read all this thing about circumcision, you're like, miss me with that. I do not want any part. So this verse is not for me. And you miss what God wants to teach you through his word. Because maybe we're not wrestling with the question and the wonder of should I get circumcised? But here's what that represented. It was the law to the Galatians. It was we've experienced Jesus. We've experienced new life. We've experienced faith. But I have this tendency as a human being to go back to what I know. What I know is circumcision. What I know is the law. What I know is rules and regulations and checking all the boxes of my faith to say that I've done enough to be considered worthy, to be considered forgiven. Human beings always have the tendency to go back to what we know. Why? Because it's familiar. We always live in familiarity, but familiarity is the enemy of your faith. We always go back to what we know I know God has more for me, 
but this is what I know. I know God wants to do something new in me, but this is what I can understand. Can I challenge you today to give up your need to understand all of what God does? God wants to take you places and you're not gonna be able to make sense of it. I promise you five, six years ago in the mind of your pastor, this didn't make sense. He couldn't understand this, but when you trust God, God will always take you further than you think you can go. Familiarity is the enemy of your faith. Familiar doesn't require me to face the unknown, but trusting God does. Familiar doesn't require me to change my habits and change my thinking. Oh, but growing in your faith does. Familiar doesn't require my faith to be activated. And men especially, this is what we do. We're just like the Galatians. Let me fix me. I'll take Jesus, but then I'm going to work on me. Let me take Jesus and then let me work on my issues before I trust him with my family. Let me battle my addictions. Then I'll obey him with my finances. Let me do my part and then I'll truly be free. Listen, if your approach to faith and your approach to God is the cross plus your effort, then you're saying that what Jesus did, it was not enough. This is what Paul says. Can we throw our verse back on the screen? Two through, or one through, one through six, whatever you've got there, that first scripture. Galatians chapter five. Marcus, uh, go to the next one. Again, I declare anyone who lets himself or obligated to obey the whole law, go to the next one. Sorry, we're gonna get there. For in Christ Jesus, neither circumcision nor uncircumcision has any value. Any value. What is he saying? Your works, your effort, anything that you can do on your own, what is familiar, what is known, what's within your control, what's within your understanding, what's within your ability, it's not enough. But the cross, but Jesus, but the shed blood on Calvary is more than enough because there is freedom in the cross. There is liberty in the cross and your freedom has been paid for. That's good news today. It's been paid for. You don't have to earn it. You don't have to work for it. Your works do not save you. Your mindset does not deliver you. It does not matter how stable you can get your mind. You still need the cross to bring you life. It's not the blood of Jesus plus my good intentions that set me free. But my hope is in the finished work of Christ that's been paid for. Freedom is God's plan for you. And I hope for every person in the room today that you can walk out and you can truly say it with sincerity, I'm finally free. The thing I've been holding on to for years, the unforgiveness that I've held in my heart, the mental struggles that I have battled, the insecurities and the, the depression that seems to keep me limited in everything that I do in my life and for the Lord, today I'm gonna walk out finally free. Today I'm walking out finally free. I don't have to be a slave to my mistakes. I don't have to be a slave to my past because I'm finally free. But it's not enough for it to be paid for. See, in Jesus, the work has been perfected. What does that mean? It's finished. The work is done. The work has been completed. But we only become free when we make him both Savior and Lord of our life. See, here's the thing. If he's your savior, but you are Lord, you'll never walk in freedom. Are you the Lord of your thoughts? Are you the Lord of your choices? Are you the Lord of your marriage? Are you the Lord of the direction in your life? He's got to be savior, 
and Lord. Here's the thing about freedom, though. Some people just don't handle freedom well. We got any parents in the room? Okay, parents, it's our responsibility to determine the amount of freedom that we can give our children. And let's, let's be really real for a second. Some of them don't handle freedom well. I'm not going to tell you which one of my children it is. I have two boys and a daughter, and it's the daughter. I'm not going to tell you who it is, though. I'm not going to tell you. It, it's a girl, but I'm not going to tell you who it is. Some people just don't handle freedom well. And there's people in your life that you see God do a work in their life, a work in their heart, a work in their family, and they're living in the freedom of God, and then they go right back to where they were. They experience a life-changing moment in a service like this, or at a special event, and they go right back to where they were. You go to camp? How many of you in the room, you went to camp recently? Come on, God does some special stuff at camp. You go to camp, God wrecks you at camp. And you come back, and you go right back into the same old stuff. Why do we do that? Recently, I was doing what every man loves to do on a Saturday. I'm shoveling mulch out of my landscaping. You know, if I have the option to, like, go golfing on a Saturday morning or shovel mulch, you know, shoveling mulch is just so much fun. I'd much rather be doing, no, nobody thinks that. But I'm shoveling mulch, and I'm trying to get it out of the landscaping, putting the new stuff in. And one of the things we've really been trying to work with our kids on is, like, hey, we're going to let you kind of have some freedom. You can go out around the property, because we have a kind of a little bit of property. You can go around the property. You can play. You can do things. But here's the thing. If you turn on the water, just turn it off. Am I right? Like, I don't need a $600 water bill again because we left the water on for a week. Like, we just don't, nobody needs that. Nobody needs that. So I'm outside, I'm working, I'm shoveling mulch, and all of a sudden I hear the water running, but I don't see any, I never saw a child come out. And I'm like, here we go again. We've left the water on again. What are we doing? And I turn around, and to my horror, I see my youngest son. Not that he's terrifying, <laughs> although he can be. But I turn around, I see my youngest son. Now, mind you, we have a little bit of property, but we don't live in the country, right? Like, we still kind of live in the, in the middle of town or close to town. We live at the end of a street. Our house faces all the way down the street. All of the neighbors can see my front porch. It's Saturday. It's not 185 degrees on a Saturday. So everybody's outside. They can see me. They can see my youngest son. When I turn around, I see what all of them already can see which is my three-year-old, completely nude. Just peeing on the front porch. And the water that I hear is not the water faucet, but it's him on the front porch. And I turn to him and I'm like, what are you doing? You know those questions you say in like a nervous response as a parent? You don't want an answer, right? Like you just, you don't want him to actually answer. I'm like, what are you doing? And he goes, I go pee-pee. Yeah, the whole neighborhood knows that, son. We don't need you to explain. And I said, son, why? Why did you, who told you, who told you you could pee on my porch in broad daylight? Who told you? And he goes, you did. No, sir. No, sir, we did not. I did not tell you that. And he goes, yeah, you told me I could. And I'm like, son, I promise you, if there's anything that I've ever told you, it is not that you could come out here completely nude in broad daylight and do this. About that time, my oldest son walks by, and he's seeing what's going on. And I said, Deacon, did you tell him he could pee on the front porch? And he goes, yeah, I sure did. <laughs> awesome. Have multiple kids, they said. It'll be great. He said, yeah, I did. 
1 Peter 5.8. Some of you are like, what just happened? 1 Peter 5.8. Be alert and of sober mind. Your enemy, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion, looking for someone to devour. Here's what I want you to get out of this. The Lord is described over and over in Scripture as the lion of the tribe of Judah. Peter tells us, Listen, one of the parts of getting free is to being able to distinguish between the voice of the lion of the tribe of Judah and that in your enemy that goes around like a lion. See, the enemy thrives in deception. Thrives in deception. And here's how deception works. It's lies intertwined with truth to make you believe what you're hearing. Here's the thing about the voice of God. You only learn the voice of God by getting deep and close in your relationship with him. It takes time. It takes maturity in your faith, learning the voice of God, learning how he speaks, learning the words he uses, learning his cadence, learning to discern spiritual, when I talk about spiritual principles, the spiritual principle of discernment, being able to understand and know the voice of God as he speaks. My three-year-old, he's my son. He knows me, but he's only three, and he doesn't have the maturity to understand between his brother's voice and his father's voice. And there's a lot of people that you're trying to follow the voice of God, but you're hearing all these other voices in your head telling you things about who you are, who you should be, who you were, your identity. And it's the enemy working to deceive God and rob you of your freedom. So when I asked my son, who told you? I wasn't angry at him, but I wanted him to understand that the voice that you think was mine was not the voice that you heard. And God wants you to know today the voice that's discouraging you, the voice that tells you you're not enough, the voice that tells you you can't be free, the voice that says you'll always be a slave to your past is not the voice of God. It's not the voice of God. In our text, Let's go to Galatians chapter 5, verse 7 and 10. I want to switch translations from the NIV to the Passions translation because I love the way it's worded. It says, before you were led astray, you were so faithful. How many of you have ever felt like, man, you've got your life together, your marriage is together, you're growing in your faith, like life is good. Come on, we've been there? Like everything's clicking, life's going good. And he says, but who has deceived you so that you turn from what is right? Where did the wheels come off? What is he asking? He's asking, who told you? Who told you that you weren't enough? Who told you that you couldn't be free? Who told you that you were a mistake? Who told you that you don't have what it takes? Who told you that God could never use you? Who told you? Who deceived you so that you turned away from Rudda's white? Who told you that you have to be this way? Wondering if the attacks in your mind, in your spirit, in your home will ever end. 
Who told you that you'd never be free? He says, the one who enfolded you into this grace is not behind this false teaching that you've embraced. He's saying, I don't know who told you, but it wasn't God. It wasn't God. And when I read this passage, I think about the nation of Israel in Exodus chapter 16, when they've, they've, they're free from Egypt. They've been in slavery for hundreds of years, and God does a miracle through, through using Moses, and he delivers them from captivity out of the nation of Egypt, so much so that he actually split a sea. He split a sea so they could experience freedom. Now, God's done a lot of work in my life, and he's done the greatest work through the cross, but I've never, like, walked up to the lake, and it just parted. And that's what he did for the nation of Israel. They saw the hand of God at work. Yet, on the journey to freedom, on the journey to the promised land, they had to go through the desert. And in the desert, they said, why don't, why don't we go back? What? Are you insane? Like you're free, you're free. You don't have to go back anymore. But when the circumstances of life get tough, when your expectations of God don't get met, when you pray and it feels like an unanswered prayer, when you get delivered from an addiction and it seems like the urges never go away, it's, it's easier to just go back. And I think there's some people right now you're dealing with the tension of walking in the desert or going back to Egypt. We can't go back. It is for freedom that Christ has set you free. He says, not that we would return back to the yoke of slavery, but that we would walk in liberty and freedom and deliverance in the name of Jesus. studying for this word I came across an article talking about animals in captivity and it said studies have shown that if animals live in captivity long enough eventually you can unlock the cage and the animal won't leave because it only knows how to live in captivity study goes on to say that actually if you, if you leave an animal in captivity long enough that it will stop testing the door because life becomes so comfortable inside the walls. That the door to the cage can be unlocked, open, and he's free to go, but he no longer thinks about life outside the cage, but rather now envisions a new, perfectly comfortable life inside the cage. See, the enemy always makes captivity seem comfortable. Think of the Israelites. We're free. Yeah, but Egypt had food. Egypt satisfied my need, satisfied my wants. But God's not in the business of just satisfying. He fulfills. He fulfills to the uttermost. We're not talking about temporary satisfaction where you come into church and you have an emotional experience and you feel good. We talk, we're talking about real genuine spiritual freedom that we don't go back and today I believe that there's people under the sound of my voice right now that the door is unlocked you're free to go but you can't see life outside the cage anymore 
and you come into church and you put up a good front and you serve on the rad team and you're like, yeah, I'm radical about my faith and inside you're dying because your soul feels locked up. Your mind feels like it's locked up. And you can't see what life would truly be like if you gave Jesus everything. Not just Savior, but Savior and Lord. That God, you can have my mind, you can have my marriage, you can have my life, you can have my business, you can have my thoughts, you can have my ambitions, you can have it all. And until He has it all, you'll never truly be free. You can't see outside the cage. You can't see past the struggle. You can't see past the addiction, the worry, your need for control, your need to understand. But church, can I encourage you, even though you feel like nothing will ever be enough, He is enough. He is enough. He's more than enough. And even though we're talking about being finally free today, and you can be finally free, listen, in Jesus, your freedom is final. It is final. The work is done. The freedom is complete. There is no attack of the enemy on your mind, your soul, your spirit that can take away what God has done. He's enough. He's enough. But He must be Savior and Lord. I'm finally free. The good news is your freedom is final. But it's up to us if we want to walk in that freedom. You get to make the choice. Does the journey to freedom, does it have deserts? Absolutely. Does it have struggles? Absolutely. But we can't go back to Egypt. I'm looking at a church that I believe that God is going to unlock something within the spirit of this house. But it's going to come when every person in this room says, we can't go back. I can't go back in my life. I can't let my marriage go back. As a church, we're never going back. But we're moving forward to the freedom that God has. Freedom in the spirit, freedom in life, freedom in this community to see people's lives transformed. But it starts with the one that says, I'm going to walk in freedom. I'm going to be in freedom. I can't go back. I can't go back. I can't stay here. Would you stand with me as we wrap up today? I believe there's some people in the room that for the first time in a long time, you're going to walk out of here today and be able to say, I'm finally free. But it begins with a choice. Because remember, this is God's plan. And it's been paid for. But we have to choose to walk in the freedom that God has.